Jesus, thank you so much for um, your sacrifice, what you have done for us. Um, and as we um, speak today on, on just, yeah, who you are, what you've done, um, how we can um, partner with you, uh, may we uh, remember that you are the one that uh, makes all things happen. God, I pray that uh, as I speak this morning, that um, it is not my words that are ultimately spoken, but yours. We thank you for uh, this time together in your name. Amen. All right. So last weekend, I got to see my uh, youngest sister's last dance recital, uh, which was a very bittersweet moment for our family. We had been uh, dancing at the studio uh, for 22 years, and my parents had been friends with the owner of the studio for many years before that. So um, this was just a very big transition for our family um, that was very emotional, very bittersweet. Um, but it got me thinking about uh, what it means to, to learn a dance. If any of you have uh, seen a dance routine or done any dance, dancing yourself, uh, you might know that um, to learn the choreography, typically what happens is um, your teacher will do a move or do a series of moves and then you go and repeat those series of moves and um, they might need to show you, you know, how to do something right and, you know, you just keep practicing at it uh, until you get that part down and then they show you the next move and then you teach uh, and then you watch the next move, you repeat it um, and so on and so forth until you have the entire dance routine. Uh, and the end product ends up being something much more amazing and beautiful than, than any individual move or any couple moves uh, look like uh, together. And it just becomes this, this beautiful end product. Um, now we're wrapping up our series on um, Come Follow Me, where we're talking um, about discipleship, and we're going through um, three different stages of, of what it means to follow Jesus. And those three have been um, be like Jesus, or be with Jesus, become like Jesus. And today we're going to be talking about doing what Jesus did. Um, ben, in the intro sermon to the series, had mentioned um, talking about um, rabbis and how uh, in the time of Jesus, the best of the best of the best were the people that were, um, you know, rabbis would, would, come, would come alongside them, uh, tell them to follow them, and uh, the rabbi would just go about doing what they would normally do, and the student would just learn um, what they were doing. They would learn to mimic uh, what the rabbi was doing. Uh, basically, yeah, they were, they were spending all of their time with the rabbi uh, in order to, to mimic them and, and basically do what that rabbi did once they become, quote-unquote, ready. Uh, and that's why I'm bringing up dance choreography here. I think it's, there's a lot of similarities in, in terms of you're seeing what someone's doing, you're trying to imitate them um, until you get it down perfect, and then eventually you get to uh, showcase it to, to the world in some way. Um, it's something that takes time to learn and to do um, but I also think that choreography has, has a special difference from that um, that I think it relates a little bit more to uh, doing what Jesus did, and that's what, um, that there's this constant path of growth. You know, you can, you can learn a dance, you, you do your choreography, um, but that's not really necessarily, it's going to help you make the, maybe make it easier for the next uh, dance routine that you learn, but it's, it's not going to be the same routine. So you're still going to have to relearn and repractice and redo um, because, you know, especially in a group routine, if you go up there, a new song, you know, new dance, everyone else is doing the choreography and you're doing, you know, something that you learned previously, it's, it's just not going to look good. It's not going to be great. Um, and, you know, t 
timing's off, you know, technique is off, a lot, a lot of things like that. Um, and further, with dance choreography, you know, you're constantly going back to this well of knowledge uh, to, you know, help you with your technique, help you make sure that a, a move is, is particularly right. Um, and that's, again, that's something I find very relevant uh, to what it means to do what Jesus did. Um, so with that, I want to um, dive into um, a couple pieces of scripture for today. And the first is going to be Matthew 9, 35. So if you would like to turn with me, I'm going to be reading out of the uh, NIV, and it's going to be uh, up on the screen behind me as well. So Matthew 9, 35, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Jesus called his disciples, his 12 disciples to him and gave them the authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, who is called Peter, then his brother Andrew, James the son of Zebedee and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the tax collector, James the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or to any town of the Samaritans. Rather, go to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim that heaven, uh, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Now, the first thing I want to note about this passage is um, kind of the sandwich that's going here. So uh, in the first verse of this passage, 935, it says that Jesus went through all the towns, teaching, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. And then at the end, 7 and 8, we see that same thing being repeated. He's telling the disciples, uh, as you go, proclaim this message, the kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. So again, we see this, this, this sandwich of, of Jesus doing proclaiming, teaching, and healing of sickness. And then we have Jesus telling the disciples to do those same things. So we have this kind of similar methodology to um, the rabbi or to dance choreography. You see what's being done happen, and then um, you are called to do the same thing, or the disciples are called to do the same thing. Um, and I find this passage really interesting because this is, you know, partway through Jesus' ministry. Um, and so I think it's, it's safe to say that uh, the 12 apostles weren't fully formed yet, if you want to think about it, in terms of their, their Christian walk. Um, you can see that throughout the rest of Jesus' ministry where um, they are questioning, you know, things that Jesus said. They don't understand some of these things um, at the end of Jesus' ministry when he um, ultimately dies, we find that um, the disciples all just flee um, outside of the one who betrayed him. They're, they're all hiding, trying to make sure that they're not next. Um, and even, you know, after that point, um, when, when Jesus rises, when they go out and, and do all of these amazing things that we see in Acts, um, we see Paul in, in Galatians talk about confronting Peter because Peter had 
um, gone back on his decision to eat with the Gentiles, which was something that he had previously been called to do. Um, and then when the Jews came um, to this, this gathering, he decided to go and, and stay with the Jews and not interact with the Gentiles. Um, and so, you know, it, it's not, they're, they're not fully formed at this point. They definitely have not, um, I, I, I think it's pretty easy to say that they wouldn't have arrived in, in a sense of, of being any sort of um, spiritual uh, mentor or spiritual, um, hit any spiritual high point, uh, yes, yet. Um, so I don't know if, if the apostles were necessarily feeling this way, but I know that if, if I were in their shoes, I would constantly be doubting myself when Jesus is telling me to do all these things. Like, how am I supposed to do this? I've never driven out demons before. I've never done this. Um, you know, can God really use me in, in these ways? Um, but as we see in, in chapter 10, verse 1, Jesus has given the disciples authority um, he gave them the authority to drive out these uh, impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. Um, Jesus made sure that they knew that he would be with them and that he would be the one doing the work through them. Um, you, don't, you can't give authority unless you have the authority yourself, right? So one thing that uh, we can have confidence in, um, what this passage is telling us, we can have confidence in that when we do what it is that um, Jesus did, we are not the ones doing the work, but it is God doing that work through us. And this is something that um, I want you to remember. If you don't get anything else from the sermon, if the next 20 or whatever minutes, um, your, your ears just shut off. I, if there's nothing else I want you to remember, I want you to remember this. It's that God can and often does um, call us and use us um, and, and, and bring us to do things uh, before we are quote unquote ready. Um, you know, as, as Christians, you know, we understand that ultimately we're not fully formed, we're not ready um, until uh, Jesus comes again and makes things, all things new. Um, so that should, I, I say that to give us confidence that any time before that, um, we don't have to be afraid of, of doing these work, teaching, proclaiming, and healing of sicknesses, uh, because we have the Holy Spirit with us to um, do the work that God has called us to. And I think this is reinforced by um, a second passage. So if you could turn with me uh, to the end of Matthew in Matthew 28. And we're going to go to the uh, Great Commission, which is uh, verse 16. And it says, When the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now again, we see Jesus giving that same command that he had given to the disciples previously when he sent them out. Um, the same type of command. Um, he's once again here as well, giving his disciples authority. Um, he said, in, in this case, he's saying, all authority has been given to me, therefore go. Um, there's a, a, a more subtle uh, call there that you, have, you now have this authority because the authority has been given to me. So the authority to do what Jesus did, once again, comes directly uh, out of the authority of Jesus. And again, we can have confidence in when we are doing the work that uh, Jesus did, 
He is the one doing that work through us. And this time he follows it up with a reminder. He says, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Um, Now, I don't think this is a flippant line by Jesus uh, by any means, and and I'm sure you don't either. Um, But I think it says two things. Once again, it's Jesus doing that work through us because he is the one that's with us. But it's also showing us that we are still being led and we are still abiding in Jesus and being transformed by Jesus as we are going out. There is still an invitation to learn and to grow. And I think this pretty much wraps up, this, this you know, ties this entire series into a bow. Um, I, this ultimately, being with Jesus, being transformed by Jesus and doing what Jesus did, this is all we are called to as Christians. Um, as people who believe in the power of the resurrection, this cycle provides us a way to have the right, a right relationship with God and others and others in the way that we were meant to have. Now, there are other good things that we can do that might not be part of this, these three things. Um, but ultimately, even if they're good, they're extra. They're not necessary. And we see the same thing, um, not even in, just here in the New Testament, but even in the Old Testament, we see a similar um, line. Uh, in Ecclesiastes 12.13, Solomon um, ends, his, uh, ends the book saying, Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. And again, fearing God kind of enwraps the being, being with and being transformed by Jesus and keeping his commandments of doing what Jesus did. So we see this kind of throughout scripture is this, this call to these three things. But with all that said, so what? what? What are the practicals? What is it exactly that Jesus did? We've talked about you know, why, like, you know, that we are called to do what Jesus did, but what exactly is that? Um, and, you know, we see a pretty good summary, um, both in that sandwich that I was talking about in the first scripture of teaching, preaching, and healing sicknesses. Now, that doesn't enca- uh, encapsulate everything that Jesus did, um, but it's a pretty good summary. And we have the rest of scripture that can give us more in-depth information, you know, um, we see Jesus or God caring for the poor, the oppressed, orphans and widows, things like that. There, there's, there's a care for others there that might not have, um, you know, spiritual sicknesses or physical sicknesses in the same way, um, but they are um, in some way destitute. There are also times that kind of go along with preaching and teaching where Jesus must refute and rebuke falseness or sin that has cropped up both in individuals and in society as a whole. You see this um, when he has his confrontations with teachers of the law and he rebukes them for being whitewashed tombs where they're, uh, they look clean on the outside, but they're still dirty on the inside, um, still dead on the inside. And also when um, you know, he makes his exclamations of the um, people around him being a crooked and depraved generation. Um, so there are, there are times where, you, where as a part of that teaching and preaching um, that there is, there is that rebuke uh, of falseness. And there's also a personal conduct element to this. And um, we can see this. Uh, I won't go into it, but um, if you want to look at Romans 12, verses 9 through 21, that's a pretty good summary of how to conduct yourself as a Christian. Um, And so ultimately, with all of these things, we are called to do these same things. And I'm not going to sugarcoat it. These are very hard things to do. Um, You know, getting up here and preaching is a harder thing to do than I think some people realize, or maybe some people think it's a lot harder and and, um, maybe uh, unavailable to them in some way. But regardless, these are all hard things. 
And I think it showcases, because of how hard these things are, that we cannot do what Jesus has called us to and showed us to unless we are also being with him and being transformed by him. It's this virtuous cycle is that as we are being with Jesus, being transformed by Jesus, we do what Jesus did, which leads us great, uh, further into being and being transformed. Now I say this, uh, it, that I'm not saying this as if it's impossible to do quote unquote good things as, a, as someone who's not a Christian or without God. Um, but I do think that there is uh, a truth that we can't truly um, do or consistently do uh, what Jesus did unless we are being with Jesus and being transformed by Jesus. We have to have the Holy Spirit inside of us in order for that to happen. And I say this as well, not meant to scare us or discourage us um, from trying to do these things, but rather I want to encourage and empower us um, to abide in God as he will give us everything that we need in order to do what he has called us to. And we see that in the scripture, right? right? Um, In Matthew 28, 20, at the very end, again, Jesus is saying, I am with you always to the very end of, of the age. You know, Jesus, the savior of the world, God, the father, the creator of the universe have given us the Holy Spirit to abide in us, uh, to allow us to do the things that they have called us to do, the things that Jesus did on this earth. And we mentioned, uh, Ben mentioned last week, some of the ways that we can be transformed to be like Jesus. Um, He talked about being in community, spiritual disciplines, um, and and the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, among other things. These are some of the things that he said, these help us be transformed by Jesus. And like I said, with that virtuous cycle, I think these things also help us do what Jesus did. Um, These are the same steps here. Again, it's not an exhaustive list. These are just some examples, and I'm sure you can think of some others. And um, I also want to add kind of a reminder or or caveat to this too, um, is that also in the book of Matthew, Jesus has called us to rest. All who are weary come to him to have rest. So if you're doing some of these spiritual disciplines um, or or, you're doing some of these things and you're not experiencing that rest, in fact, you're experiencing a weariness, you're experiencing um, the opposite of of what, of of spiritual life and vitality, um, I would encourage you then to maybe... um, talk with God and, and commune and, and um, reevaluate some of those things that you're doing. It might be that some of these things are meant, aren't meant for you. We're only meant for you for a season. Um, or maybe these things just don't, aren't just gelling um, with you specifically as, a, as an individual that God has created you. Um, yeah. And I don't mean that also to say that you don't have to work at some of these disciplines, right? Some these, they are called disciplines for a reason. Spiritual disciplines are, are meant to be hard, um, but if you find that it's only hard and you're not getting anything out of it, um, yeah, I would just encourage you to work through those things with God or, and, and maybe also a spiritual mentor of some sort um, to kind of help evaluate and, and see um, what it is that, how, how God has made you specifically um, in order to, to best commune with, with God and with others. So those, those are just some of the things, some of the, some of the practical sides of things, but Stepping back a bit, we, we've looked at scripture. We, said, we talked about what it is that Jesus did and, and maybe a little bit of this, but um, why? Like, what, what is the point of all this? Yes, God has commanded us. Jesus commanded us to go out and do these things. Um, but to some extent, yeah, why, why, why do these? Um, why do these things? What's, what's the point of all this? And I want to answer that um, by talking about someone that I think um, understood 
really the, the answer to this question, and I'll get to that in a second. I, I think, you know, there are a lot of people that I thankfully can say um, that have shown me what it is that Jesus did um, and have, have um, mirrored that um, in my life, uh, both personally, you know, um, a lot of you in this room, uh, my family, have, have certainly... Um, have certainly shown me those things, but I also um, see it in people from Christian history, you know, like from Christianity is, is 2,000 years old. There's a lot of examples of, of people um, who, have, who have done what Jesus did and shown others what that looks like. Um, but one person that I want to highlight um, as I close is C.S. Lewis. And I'm a big fan of C.S. Lewis. I've read, I think, if not all of his books, almost all of his books, um, and I think that Lewis is one of the writers that has shaped me the most um, out, outside of the Bible. C.S. Lewis, I've just always loved um, the way that he words things. And I think we, we think of Lewis as a writer, but there are also a few things that Lewis actually did that I, I want to kind of share with you all um, that you might not have known, um, but I think really highlight uh, why he, how he did what Jesus did, how he emulated that um, apart from his writing. You know, one of those things was um, he fought in World War I, and uh, while he was in his army training, he uh, had a roommate whose name was Patty Moore, and uh, he and Patty had made a pact during their training that if either of them were to die uh, during World War I, that um, the other person would take care of both of their families. Um, so unfortunately, Patty died uh, in the war, but um, Lewis followed through on his promise. He, he took care of of uh, Patty's family, and even to the point of developing a relationship with uh, Patty's mother, where he, uh, Lewis would then call her his mother. Um, they, they just had that, that special um, familial relationship. His mother had passed away when he was young, and so she really became that mother figure for him. Um, even to the point where, you know, she, ha- she actually had um, gotten dementia. She passed um, when she was um, in, in the 40s, and so, you know, she... Um, took care of her all throughout her life. And he also used um, another example is uh, actually in World War II. So he was a little bit older. Um, he didn't fight in the war, but he had an estate outside of London. And so what he would do was he would invite um, children to, to come to the estate to escape the air raids that the Germans um, were bombarding London with. Um, and that actually was the inspiration for The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, um, one of his first uh, books. Um, so again, these are just some of the examples of, of how Lewis actually did what Jesus did. I also wanted to, to note that uh, there's a biography of Lewis that where um, they um, found that uh, he had said that he initially, when, when he um, came back to Christianity in his 30s, he initially attended church only to receive communion because um, he felt repelled by the hymns and the um, poor quality of the sermons that he, he saw. Um, but he, you know, he kept going. Eventually, he later uh, came to consider himself honored uh, to be worshiping with the people of faith around him who came in shabby clothes and work boots and who sang all the, verse, sang all the verses to all of the hymns. Um, and these are the people that helped shape Lewis's faith. He was able to participate in this community, even though he might have been a little arrogant and prideful at, at first uh, when he joined. Um, they ultimately, um, God softened his heart. He, he actually got to know these people um, and, and he 
again, considered himself honored to be a part of this community. Um, and with all of that, I, I want to close um, more specifically with a section of um, Lewis's words in Mere Christianity, um, which I think kind of give a proper context for why it is that we do that Jesus did. Um, and if the band wants to come up during this time, um, I'm just going to read this. Now, once again, what God cares about is not exactly our actions. What he cares about is that we should be creatures of a certain kind or quality, the kind of creatures he intended us to be, creatures related to himself in a certain way. I do not add and related to one another in a certain way because that is included. If you are right with him, you will inevitably be right with all of your fellow creatures, just as if all the spokes on a wheel are fitted rightly to the hub and the rim they are bound to be in the right positions to one another. As long as man is thinking about God as an examiner who has set him some sort of paper to do, or as an opposite party in some sort of bargain, as long as he is thinking of claims and counterclaims between himself and God, he is not yet in the right relation to him. He is misunderstanding what he is and what God is. So ultimately, the point of doing the things that Jesus did. It's not about the doing, but it's about the following of Jesus and being in the right relationship with him and the others around you. Thank you.